may be seated. If you will, this morning, um, take your Bible out, definitely turn to Mark chapter 6, but what you're really going to need is the bulletin, because I'm going to read the text out of the center part of the bulletin this morning, um, because I, what I want you to see, I've, I've referred to this particular book a couple of times um, in preaching through the book of Mark. Uh, there's a gentleman, a Bible scholar, that has taken the four Gospels and merged them together so that we could read them, number one, chrono- chronologically and in order, but number two is, is so that we could see how in these uh, same stories, yet different accounts of the same stories, how those would look if you were able to merge those stories uh, together. And so what you're going to see this morning is you're going to see the story of Jesus walking on the water, which is told in John, Mark, and Matthew. Luke does not recount this story for us, uh, but John and Matthew do. Number one, uh, For one reason, they were there. And, and, you know, if you're there, if you're in a boat, uh, in a storm, and somebody walks on the water out to the boat, you're not going to leave that out of your book, right? I mean, that's, I mean, out of all the miracles you see, that one's got to make it in there. And then, of course, Mark is not in the boat because Mark was not one of the 12. But do you remember what we learned the very first week in the book of Mark? And that is Mark's gospel is a retelling of Peter's experience with the Lord. And so uh, Mark is recounting based on what Peter is telling him about his time with the Lord. So this, the gospel of Mark really comes from Peter's perspective. All right, now that you're there in the center section of your Bible, you'll see the verse number first, and then at the end you'll see what book and chapter. So 16, and when, he, and when uh, even was now come... And then you see that's John 6, 16. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in, into the ship and to go before him to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he, while he sent away the people. So his disciples went down unto the sea and entered into his ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And when it was now dark, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. And he, Jesus was, alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, when they had rowed about five and twenty, about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, Jesus came unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And when the disciples saw him walking upon the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And they were afraid, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, you are the Son of God. And when they were sore amazed in themselves, beyond measure and wonder, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Then, then they willing, willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land, whither they went. We'll stop there. So that's the combination of the three accounts told in, in sync. Uh, 
Okay, not the group in sync, but in sync. I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning about uh, God's mean storm. M-E-A-N, God's mean storm. And I'm going to use the word mean this morning, not as a, uh, I'm going to use it uh, as a verb and not as an, as an adjective. You may ask, why is that significant? When mean is used as an adjective, it speaks of a description. However, when it's used as a, as a verb, it speaks of design. So we're going to use it as a verb because there, what I want you to see this morning is something that we don't quite hear enough of in our churches, and that is that there is a design inside of this storm. This storm carries with it a purpose. It was purposed by God. It was designed by God. It was sent by God. And that's, so that's why I don't mean mean that God is angry at them or God is vengeful towards them. What I mean is that God has a purpose. He has a design uh, in this storm. So really three simple points this morning. Point number one is I want you to see the details of, this, of his mean storm. I want you to see the details of his mean storm. First, Jesus willed them into the boat. Jesus willed them into the boat, but he did not predict the impending storm. Jesus wills them into the boat. The word made there in the Greek language is a word of force. Okay, they didn't have an option whether they were getting into the boat or not. Jesus is compelling them, forcing them to get into the boat. It is the idea of a king making a declaration to his subjects. And if, if you understand anything about kingdom principles, if you live in a kingdom and the king makes a decree, you obey the decree whether you want to or not. Why? Because the king's decree forces you into a behavior or if you don't behave, if you don't comply, if you don't do what the king says, then you'll lose your life. And so Jesus is forcing them into this boat, but Jesus does not tell them or predict the storm that is coming. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Absolutely he knew the storm was coming. Jesus had satellite radar before we had satellite radar. I mean, just like this past week, we knew five days out that uh, the hurricane Michael was coming, but Jesus knew before he created the world that this day was coming and that this storm was going to happen on the sea, but he doesn't tell them it's coming. And here's the thing about storms, especially storms of life. You don't get a weather forecast. You, you don't get a report that, hey, in five days, everything's going to fall apart in your life. Hey, in five days when you go to the doctor, uh, they're going to tell you you have so many days to live. Uh, you don't get the forecast that, oh, by the way, uh, by noon tomorrow, the stock market is going to go under and you're going to lose most everything that you have, say, for retirement. You just don't get the forecast. It just happens. Jesus intentionally sends them into the storm. All storms are not sent by the Savior. But this storm is. Some storms are caused by, guess who? You. <laughs> Some storms are caused by self. Rebelling against God's truth puts into motion the right atmospheric conditions for a storm. I would encourage you to see a guy named Jonah. Jonah was disobedient. His disobedience began atmospheric conditions that led to a storm in his life. So some storms are caused by the Savior. Some storms are caused by self. And then other storms are caused by Satan. And I won't go into any great detail, but I would just refer you to the book of Job. That Job entered into a great storm, and his storm was caused by none other than Satan himself. But I want you to know this, that at any point in time, the God of the universe that we just sung about, this sovereign God who is sovereign over us, he can stop a storm he starts. He can stop a storm that you start. And he most definitely can start any storm that Satan starts. That would have been a good place for an amen. Second detail of this mean storm. Not only does Jesus wheel them into the boat, but does not predict the impending storm. Jesus watched them in the boat 
while praying for them. Jesus watched them in the boat while praying for them. You know what this reminds me of this morning? That that God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is all-seeing. There is not anything that's happening in this world that God doesn't know about. God is not clueless as to what's happening or what will happen. Uh, Kyle went to Israel several years ago now. I forgot how many years back it was. But Kyle, he was, when he came back, he's like, I said, well, how was it? He said, oh, man. And so we just sat down for, I don't know, it seemed like it was hours. And he was just like rolling off. Yeah, I went to this place and, 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 and man, this really brought this story of the Bible to life. And I went to this place and it really brought the story of the Bible to, lot, to life. Well, one of the places that Kyle got to go to was this place where they believed that Jesus went up to pray while the disciples were out in the, out in the sea. And Kyle said what was interesting about this place where they believed that Jesus was when he was praying for these disciples is that the, the Sea of Galilee is only five miles wide at its widest point. So it's not, I mean, w- w- when you think about sea, don't think, I mean, this is more like a lake than a sea. But he said you could see the entire lake from that point of view. And so let me say two things to you this no- morning. Number one, it was at night. I don't know how well you can see at night. I don't know if Jesus could physically see them out in the sea in the storm. But here's, one, here's something that I can tell you for certain this morning. Jesus sees you with omniscient eyes 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And there is not, if Jesus could not physically see them, he saw them because he was fully God. His humanity may not have seen them, but his godness saw them. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is not only, Jesus not only sees them, but Jesus is praying for them. Now I don't know about you this morning, but how many of you take comfort when, or let me, add, let, me, let me put it this way. How many of you got people in your life that when things go bad, you pick up the phone and say, I need you to pray? Why? Because you just feel like that person, like they got a hotline, like they got the bat phone somewhere, you know, that red phone that they can just pick up and it and, and seems like they've got a... They got a way of talking to God that nobody else has, that they pray and it seems like God answers their prayer. Well, let me tell you something this morning. I don't care if you've got that kind of person or not in your life. As a matter of fact, you don't even need that kind of person in your life. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure that kind of person really exists. There's nobody that's got some kind of special hotline to God that nobody else has. But here's what I can tell you for sure this morning. If there ever comes a point in time in your life that you feel like you're all alone and no one's praying for you and no one cares about you, know this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and He ever makes intercession for you. He is always watching and He is always praying. And He's always praying for you. You know what that tells me? It doesn't matter if somebody here on earth is praying for me. Because I've got the best prayer on the planet and in the universe praying for me. When, I was, when, my, when my little granny was alive, I could always count. If I ever wondered, I wonder if anybody cares about me, loves me, is praying for me. I knew there was a little four foot nine, gray-headed, spitball, fireball woman every night before she would go to bed, was praying for me. And I want to tell you what, that brings me a lot of comfort. But she's not here anymore praying for me. And I've realized that as much comfort as that brought me, I should find greater comfort in the fact that the Savior of the world is praying for me. The third detail of his meme is... Jesus waited until the perfect moment to go to them. Jesus waits to the perfect... Did you notice when He goes to them, it says, in the fourth watch? You see, Romans broke their, they broke their, um, they broke their days up into three-hour segments. 
And so there were four watches of the night. It would begin at 6 p.m. and go to 6 a.m. So the fourth watch would have began at 3 a.m. This storm has been raging in its ferocity now for going into its ninth hour. These men, these experienced, at least four of them we know, we believe that as many as seven of them were experienced fishermen, and they had been in storms before, they were now into their ninth hour of rowing against the storm. And they were not making any headway at all. As a matter of fact, they were just being tossed to and fro all over the sea. The question is, why does Jesus wait so long to go to them? Why does He allow them to fight and battle and to be tossed to and fro, and, 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 and to, to go through the anguish that they are going through. Did you notice there's a word, the word uh, used was torment? They were tormented by, by the storm. That word tor- torment is also used to describe those who, are, who were demonized when they were tormented by demons. This, this, this word is a strong word to express with, with, the, with as much strength as it possibly can how difficult this moment in their life was. So point number two this morning. We're moving quick. Point two. I want you to see the design of, this, of his mean storm. So we've seen the details. He, he wheeled them into the boat. But he didn't predict the storm. He watched them while he was praying for them. He waited until the perfect moment. And now, let's look at the design of this mean storm. God designed storms for pretty much two means, two purposes, two reasons. Number one is for deepening. He designs mean storms for deepening. Why didn't they recognize Jesus? Because they weren't expecting to see Him. Though they had seen the feeding of the 5,000, they had not yet truly come to see the secret of Jesus' person. Mark 6.52 says this, They had not understood about the loaves, and their heart was hardened. So it is with us. So often when Christ comes to us in our misery, we reject Him because we do not believe He will really come to our aid. You know why that is? Because Jesus often comes to us in unexpected ways. Or how about this? Jesus comes to us in the ways that we didn't want Him to come, or we didn't think He would come, or He didn't come the way we wanted Him to come. We think He can help others, but he, but that He is unaware of our situation and, and is powerless. Or in the perverse pathology of our hearts, we may even reject His help when it comes because it does not come in the way we expect it. You, you, you know the, the funny story about the, the guy whose uh, house is flooded and the floodwaters are rising and he crawls up on top of the roof and he's praying, Lord, send someone to save me. Lord, send someone to save me. And a guy comes on the boat and he says, no, you, that's not the way. A guy comes in a helicopter and he says, no, that's not the way. And then there was a third, I forgot, I forget the whole entire job, but, another, but someone else comes and it's like, no, that's not the way. And then the guy drowns and he goes to heaven. And he said, Lord, I prayed that you would come to save me. And he said, but I, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter, whatever the third one was. And, it, and, and the point of the story is, is that we're often like that guy. Is that God sends us pathways of deliverance. He, he comes to us in unexpected ways, and yet we reject it because it's not the way that we want Him to come to us. But our heads hear we hear Him speaking. They're crying out, right? This loud shrill, this loud cry. And Jesus says what to them? Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Then often comes a response of faith. Though Mark does not record it, probably because Peter didn't want John Mark to record it on his account. Remember, Peter is Mark's informant. But listen to what Matthew says. Matthew 14, 28-31. It's back in your, your notes there. 
And Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, command me to come onto the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? It's very tempting to bash Peter at this moment, right? Peter's always picked on in this moment. He was always opening his mouth. He was always saying words before he thought about it. But though we may chuckle at Peter, how many of us have hung a leg over the side and stepped out on the water? You know what's interesting? John doesn't even tell us that Peter walked on the water. I wonder why. I I think because John was still in the boat. He's trying to save face. Matthew's the only one that tells us that Peter's the one that actually walks on the water. And maybe Peter doesn't tell Mark about his incident. Some people think maybe because Peter was ashamed of what happened. I tend to differ with that. I think the reason why Peter doesn't tell Mark that he walked on the water or about his failure is not because he was ashamed of it, but because Peter learned something very valuable through that, and he learned humility. He learned humility. Peter failed, right? And that's all we remember, but how about this, folks? He walked before he failed. The question is, how far did he walk? It says he began to sink, right? And how long did it take Jesus to get to him? It says immediately he reached down. I don't think it would be wrong if we thought that Peter had made it so close to Jesus that Jesus didn't have to move to him to pick him up. I think we discount Peter, and all we look at is that Peter failed. And he did. When we see Christ come and meet us in our troubles, guess what happens? We grow deeper. And sometimes we even take a step or two on the water. Each gospel writer gives their conclusion to this event, but most importantly, Matthew tells us what happened. What happens? They begin to worship the Lord. Their their relationship with Him grows deeper. You know what they say for the first time in Mark's gospel? Guess what they say? Truly, you are the Son of God. What did, what did Mark 6.52 say? said that their hearts were hardened at the loaves of the bread, but yet it took this, this storm in their life to really begin to open them up and break their hearts open to even greater and deeper ways that this is really the Son of God. And listen, that's what Christianity is all about. That's what growing in faith is all about. We come to an understanding that Jesus is the, that He is the Christ. And we put our faith and we put our trust in Him. But really what Christianity is all about is that is our beginning. And what happens is, is through a series of storms and events in our lives, we really become to, we really come to realize that this is truly the Son of God. And that's what happened to them. Their hearts had been made had been hardened by the bread, but the storm softened their heart to see the real Jesus. This event was necessary to move their lives towards a deeper commitment. So it has two means. Number one, it's to deepen our commitment, but number two, to create dependence. Dependence. This is probably what's more needed than even deepening. And this is really the the, the mean that we need to get us deeper, and that is to get us out of our self-dependence, but get us into God-dependence. And he deepens, he means to develop their dependence through direction. Okay, so he's, he, he wants to create dependence all in their life, but he does it through direction. And that's why he sends them into the storm. Notice what the disciples are doing. The disciples are in this horrible storm because they're obedient. Because they're actually doing what Jesus tells them to do. They're actually going in the direction that Jesus tells them to go into. They're in this misery because of their obedience. 
It was obedience that made them so uncomfortable. It was obedience that accounted for uh, uh, Helen Roosevelt's amazing story of persecution during the 1960s in Africa. She was a, a Christian missionary doctor who went to the Congo uh, to share the gospel and to, and to bring medical aid. While she was there, she was taken captive and brutally beaten and uh, accosted and raped while she was there. Um, she has a great story. You can go to YouTube and, 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 and listen to her testimony of surviving that and how God has used that in her life. It was the obedience that landed Corey Ten Boom in Ra- Ravensbrook, which was a concentration camp. It was obedience that put the four young missionary boys through the rigors of captivity in Sudan. In all of these cases, their misery was their own fault. If you submit your life... In all these cases, their misery was not their own fault. If you submit your life to Christ in obedient commitment, you will expose yourself to a variety of sorrows. Your caring, your commitment to biblical living will make you vulnerable to things which the uncommitted heart will never experience. Obedience will bring contrary winds, but it will also bring joy. Never climb a mountain and you will never bruise your shins. But you will never stand on its peak, exulting in victory in the alpine air. Never play baseball and you'll never strike out, but you'll never hit a home run either. Never obey Christ and you may miss some of life's contrary winds, but you will never know the winds of the Holy Spirit in yourselves, bearing you on in service and in power. We expect Jesus to come to us in predictable ways. Can you recognize the presence of God when it comes to you in ways you don't expect? Can you recognize the presence of God when it comes into your life as pain, hurt, sorrow, or uncertainty? Storms aren't meant to deter our faith, but give determination to our obedience. This is how Jesus begins to really test and, and, and weed out false disciples from true disciples. How does He do that? He puts us in storms. Why? Because it is in storms that we really see who we are and, and whose we are. We really get to test the metal of our faith to see if it really is genuine. And so storms don't deter our faith, but what they do is they give determination to our obedience. Christians are notorious for developing one-liners and catchy cliches and pithy proverbs that possess a tone of biblical accuracy, but all together are biblically awry. For example, how many of you have ever heard this saying? The safest place in life is in the center of God's will. How many of you have ever heard that statement? I grew up hearing it my whole life. You want the safest place for you to be as a young person is in the center of God's will. I got a problem with that statement. It doesn't seem to be true. Why? Were these men in God's will? Did they do what God told them to do? Were they being obedient? And what did it get them? A storm. It got them right in the... I mean, if you, look at, if you look at what's going on, you would think, oh, well, this storm must be caused of their disobedience. No, this storm is there because they were obedient. Listen, we should say it this way. We should say being in the will of God can, can be at times one of the hardest places to live. But it is always the best place to live. Not the safest the best, and at times, the hardest place to live. Sometimes we, we believe difficulty means that we aren't in God's will. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not God. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not God. He also means to develop dependence through delay. One of the best ways that God can develop dependence in our life is through delay. Not coming to us when we want Him to come. How many of you had to go through those nights with your children when they were laying in bed and you knew that they were crying only because they wanted you to come in and pick them up? There was really nothing wrong with them. They were not hungry. They didn't have a dirty diaper. Why? Because they just got, they just ate. They just had their diaper changed. All was great. Circumstances were perfect. And yet, what did they do? They're crying out because they want you to come and pick them up. 
And what would you do? You wouldn't go. You would delay. Why? Because you knew that's what was best for them. And here's Jesus waiting nine hours before he decides to get up out of prayer and go to them. Why? Because he needed to build dependence in them. And how do you build dependence in someone? Is that you first have to break down and do away with everything they're dependent on. These are fishermen. They're in a storm. They would know how to fight a storm. So what does Jesus do? He lets them go all the way to the end to where they're totally exhausted. They're totally wiped out. They have nowhere else to turn. They've exhausted all of their mental power, all of their fishing skills. They're at the end and they have resigned themselves to die at sea. And then he says, now's the time to go to them. Listen, don't make... Don't mistake his delay for desertion. Don't mistake delay for desertion. He has not deserted them. He has been with them the whole time because he's been praying for them. And not only that, but Jesus, he means to develop dependence through difficulty. This storm is the mother of all storms. The word uh, painfully in Greek means to be tormented. It's the same word used to describe those tormented by demon possessions. In storms, adversities, and defeat, human self-sufficiency is revealed for what it is, human insufficiency. When the defenses of human pride are breached, people sometimes see God's presence among them, even if it first appears to be troubling and perhaps even terrifying. God puts you and He puts me in difficult circumstances not to not for our destruction, but for our delight. God never means a storm for our destruction, but for our delight. What does He want? Listen, if you're so self-dependent, guess what you can't do? You cannot enter into the fullness of Christian joy. If, if you're resting on, your, on, your smart, on, on how smart you are, or, or on how talented you are, or whatever it is that you're resting on, how wise you are, then listen, you can never enter into the fullness of Christian joy. So what does Jesus have to do? He has to put them in difficult circumstances, not for their destruction, but for their delight. Why? Because once they get to the end of themselves and Jesus shows up and they cry out to Jesus and Jesus steps into the boat and the storm is stilled, they go to worshiping, they they go from the lowest of lows to the highest of joys. And that's what Christ intends for you and I. That's what He means for us this morning. So let's finish this sermon very quickly. The destination of His means. Storms lead us to to, two ends. Number one, to witness His glory. To witness His glory. Storms lead us to witness His glory. Their obedience put them in a storm, but it placed them on the front row for God to show them His glory. Think about that. The storm... Obedience put them in a storm, but it also put them on the front row of God's glory. You can't see the glory of God without being obedient to God's Word. So to witness His glory. Storms lead us to also worship His greatness. Storms lead us to worship His greatness. I think back to several occasions in my life when God's presence was the strongest in my life, where I sensed God's presence the strongest. And they were always in times of great storms, of great difficulties in my life. And storms, to close, they, storms led us deep in faith so that we can de- defeat fear. What does He mean in these storms? What's the destination of His mean? Storms let us deep in faith so that we can defeat fear. Peter didn't ask the Lord to calm the storm, but call Him out into the storm. Did, have you ever thought about that? He, Jesus, if it's you... Why didn't He say, Jesus, if it's you, make this storm stop? Why does He say, Jesus, Jesus if it's you, let me, call, call me to you?
Fear is defeated and faith is deep and not by asking the Lord to change our circumstances. That's what we would do. God, change my circumstances. Peter doesn't ask for his circumstances to be changed. He asks for the ability. He asks for a command. He asks for a word. Peter asks for a command, not for calm. When we obey the Lord's command, we can expect to walk through our circumstances. Peter is walking on water, but he's really not walking on water as much as he's walking on the Word. What was the Word? C-O-M-E, come. Peter didn't sink because he took his eyes off Jesus. He was sinking because he shifted from faith to feelings. He began to believe the weather conditions rather than the Word of Christ. He began to believe his circumstances rather than what Christ has said. As long as he stayed on the Word, C-O-M-E, he was fine. But we're no different, are we? We're trying to love someone and they don't love us back. The wave now seems bigger than the Word. The Lord tells us to forgive, but now the feelings of unforgiveness are rising up and buffeting our boat. The question for us this morning is, will we walk towards the Word or will we get wiped out by the wave? Deeper faith is often developed through failure. This story not only shows us Peter's failure, but more than that, it shows us God's great grace. Peter failed in what he set out to do, but Jesus, Jesus succeeded in what he intended to prove. Why did Jesus command Peter to do what he knew? Why did Jesus command Peter to do what he knew that he would end up failing in? Did Jesus know that he was going to sink? Yeah, but he told him to do it anyway. Come on out here. Peter's current failure would set him up for future success. This does not mean that God approves of failure, but He is able to use our failure. There's a term used in weight training. It's called point of failure. This term is used to describe what is done to a muscle in order to make it stronger. The trainee performs as many repetitions uh, as that particular muscle will do under that particular amount of weight. What you do is you push the muscle to failure. And the reason why you do that is you, you do that because it will enable the muscle to come back bigger and stronger than it was before. This type of training produces results that ordinary training cannot do. And you may think, well, why doesn't everybody do this kind of training? For two reasons particularly. Number one is it hurts like heck. I mean, it hurts so bad that Two and three days after you've trained this way, those body parts are almost immovable. You can't pick your arms up to wash your hair. Okay? So it's incredibly painful, but the other part of it is it puts you uh, in jeopardy of injury. Jesus used the point of failure training because only He can lift us from its painful effects. But also, it's only He that can... Heal its injuries. He used the point of failure training to make his followers stronger, not in themselves, but in him. When Jesus said to Peter, You have little faith, he wasn't talking about the size of Peter's faith. Why? Because Jesus said, All you have to have is little faith, right? Remember that? Luke 17, 6, faith is a grain of a mustard seed. He must be talking about the duration of his faith. You see, Remember what I told you? How close was Peter when he, when he started to sink? He was close enough that Jesus could reach down immediately and lift him up. See, the thing about Peter's faith is it wasn't quite strong enough to go the distance. It wasn't a size issue. It was a duration issue. And what is all this about? So let's close right here. We'll pray and we're going to go home. What does Jesus want to do? He not only wants to deepen faith so he can defeat fear. Why? Because Peter's going to need a greater faith in the future. Because Peter's going to face some pretty incredible moments that are going to be very fearful. And he's going to need something to stand on in that moment. Jesus does this not only to deepen his faith, but deeper faith develops character that will display Christ. It develops character that will display Christ. You see, if we had time this morning, we would go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and we would read about what Peter says about 
trials and about how trials come to shape us, but trials also come to reveal who we really are and they come to make us into something that we could not be unless we had gone through the storm, unless we had gone through the trial. Listen, this morning, in closing, as you get ready to leave here today, here's what you and I need to remember about the storm that's raging in our life, the storm that is about to come into our life, or the storms that have been in our life in the past. All of them have a purpose and a design in it, and it is to deepen our faith, and it is to develop our character. Why? So that other people might see our Heavenly Father and glorify Him. But not only will other people glorify God because of it, but guess what? You will see the glory of God in it. And I promise you, If you see the glory of God in it, you will be changed and it will be nothing for other people to see the glory of God in what you're going through. We are intended to display Christ to the world and nothing will make us more like Him than the storms of life. Why? Because the greatest storm that any person has ever faced was on a hill called Calvary, right? And the Son of God endured the storm and the wrath of God's judgment in order that He might set people free who would believe on Him as Lord and Savior. And now He calls us. He says, look, if I went through the storm, who do you think you are that you're going to avoid the storm? Go through the storm because on the other side is something that you never could have possessed had you not gone through the storm. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We thank you this morning for allowing us to be here. We thank you that you bring storms in our life not to destroy us, but to deepen us. You bring storms into our life because you you want to not destroy us, but you want to develop character within us. Father, we can't be what you want us to be, nor can we really be what we truly want to be without the storms of life. Father, help us to embrace them. And Father, help us to be able to differentiate in our lives storms that are brought on by you, storms that are brought on by self, storms that are brought on by Satan. But Father, when we're in any of those three types of storms, always remind us that you are always there to deliver us from all of them. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I want to thank you for being here this morning. We're not going to sing to close or end the service. Um, If you came this morning to give your offering, the offering plates are down front. If you don't mind just coming down as we close and dismiss, and you can drop your offering there. And uh, I want to thank you for being here on Race Sunday. Pray you have a blessed afternoon. Thank you.